there are a lot of successful drivers out there and even a lot of amateurs who are fairly inexperienced that have an expectation of entitlement. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that a sponsorship does not mean that you're getting parts for free. Welcome to Pace Notes, the podcast that helps automotive aftermarket leaders create clean entries through all the branding and business obstacles that lie ahead. I'm your host, Dennis Michael, and today I want to introduce you to Ainsley Jacobs, owner of P10 Marketing. They specialize in motorsports marketing, PR, creative website, and support services for the automotive community. And she is also a content writer for various drag racing magazines like Dragzine. Welcome to the podcast, Ainsley. Thanks, Dennis. I'm really excited to be here, to be chatting with you, and to hopefully give some good information that our listeners can use to benefit their own programs. I totally agree. So before I get into some of the questions I want to ask you, um, tell me, how did you get started in the automotive industry? I actually started in the automotive aftermarket in 2004, so almost 20 years ago. I was working for a turbocharger manufacturer at the time, doing a lot of uh, marketing and event promotions and liaison with uh, racers. And I stayed in the force induction industry for a while, but I eventually branched out and began expanding my services and my client list. So now I do a lot of journalism and event coverage, but I also still offer marketing, communication, social media management, website development, sponsor proposals, which is mostly what we're going to be speaking about, and a whole bunch of other services. So it's been a a lot of fun the last two decades getting, getting to do what I love for a living. Yeah. I agree. I agree. When you can be around horsepower every day, I mean, it's a great day. That's my, that's my personal motto. (laughs) Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Oh man. You know what? I don't like, I haven't been to a, I haven't been to a drag race in a little while. Do they still use VHT on the drag strips or are they using something different? So we're still prepping the tracks with glue. There's several different brands out there. Um, we've got PJ1. We've got VP Racing products. Mm-hmm. There's several different brands. The VHT, I remember that from the first first race I ever went to a million years ago. But it, track prep and uh, the glue chemical formulation has come so far in the last two decades. And track prep is absolutely phenomenally important when it comes to the improvement that we're seeing in performance lately. Yeah. I only bring that up because I just love the smell. Every time I went out there, it was just like, man, this is heaven. Just heaven. (laughs) I was actually talking about that last night at the track. Uh, We had a test and tune at my local track, uh, Carolina Dragway in Aiken, Mm -hmm. South Carolina. And literally had that same conversation last night. I was reminiscing about the first race I ever went to English town. And when I smelled the VHT, I was a you know, young girl, teenager, and I remember saying to one of my friends, what is that? It smells like gummy bears. Yeah. So I have this great positive uh, association when I smell the glue getting sprayed. It just brings me back to my youth in English town and you know, getting started and, and learning about racing. And I just, I love that smell. It's always going to have a special place in my heart. I absolutely agree. I'm like tearing up right now and I'm thinking to myself, we need air fresheners <laughs> like that. That's just, yeah, that's just pure horsepower right there. That smell. Oh, okay. Mm, So 
<laughs> your specialization in motorsports marketing, um, it attracts a lot of teams asking for your help. And what really intrigued me was how well you helped them in with winning sponsorships. Now, um, in my past, uh, I've had experience with drivers and teams and event organizers, for that matter, that have often approached me when I used to be an employee of a diesel performance shop. And they would come to us asking for sponsorships, but it was very lazy attitude. Now, and it really drove me nuts because I was like, you guys, like you're doing it completely wrong. So what do drivers or teams or organizers need to know before they approach a business for sponsorship? That's a great question. And I agree. There are a lot of successful drivers out there and even a lot of amateurs who are fairly inexperienced that have an expectation of entitlement. And what a lot mm -hmm. of folks don't realize is that a sponsorship does not mean that you're getting parts for free. It means that you're getting them in exchange for another form of value. And typically that's market exposure for the company. So yeah. a sponsorship is a relationship. And like any other relationship, you have got to put the work in to make it worthwhile and to keep it going. So those who come in with a lazy attitude and just expect something that, uh, for free and they just expect the companies to hand over parts or dollars or whatever it is, that's not going to be a relationship that's going to be sustainable over the long term. Companies are looking for drivers who are going to be marketing and actively promoting their products. Those are the people that they want to work with. Mm -hmm. So then what, what do you think, um, how are, what are the expectations required for a team driver event in any sponsorship opportunity? Well, typically people expect to get parts or to go racing and to not have to provide any sort of effort in return, but that's not the case. So those expectations that the sponsor is just going to provide a product or funding or financial backing and the driver and the team is going to get to go and have fun and go racing and, mm -hmm. you know, cool, let's just uh, take this and run with it. That's not the case. Um, the team, the driver, whoever is being sponsored, they have to provide something back to the company providing the sponsor in order to essentially pay for the product, whether it's through research and development feedback, uh, through promotions, through marketing, through interacting with fans in the pits or the media mentioning sponsors' names, there's a whole lot that the team and the driver are expected to do in return. So with that being said, then how, what would a, a driver or a team or event, like how do they prove that they've done this if like, say like they've been sponsored by company X and they sign on the dotted line and company X says, you know, we expect you to, you know, do some research development, some promotion, get some feedback, uh, give us feedback, um, you know, promote to um, end consumers. What are, what are some measurables that, um, you know, businesses are looking for in order to prove that the sponsorship, like that the team or is, uh, living up to their end of the bargain for the sponsorship opportunity? Oh, there's a ton of things that they can do. Uh, but first, just to increase the likelihood of even being sponsored at all, 
the best thing that a team or a driver can do is to show that potential sponsor that they're serious about the racing program and that they're serious about doing the work to promote their partners. Uh, teams and drivers who act professionally represent themselves in a professional manner. They are far more likely to get that sponsorship deal in the first place. And that's obviously you can't do all the legwork afterwards if you don't get it in the first place. Um, and so I know that we're going to talk about proposals and how teams can put together killer proposals to mm-hmm. take a big step forward in showing that they take their program seriously. Uh, but after, once they've secured that deal and they've gotten the sponsor, which is, you know, reason to celebrate, like, that's awesome. Yay. Congratulations to you. You're a big deal. Now you're a legitimate race car driver. You are living the dream. <laughs> there is a whole lot of work that goes on afterwards. And, and for me, the best thing that you can do is to communicate. Um, so many drivers and racers and teams out there, they just expect that I'm going to go out and race. The media is going to cover me and everybody's going to see it. And it doesn't work that way. Right. So communication, keeping in contact, those are huge. I would recommend after every race, having someone write a post-race press release, recapping what happened, how the car performed, how you finished pump in the sponsor's name and the products. And if you can't write that yourself, then you can hire a media professional such as myself or thousands mm-hmm. of others out there to do it relatively affordably. You want to send that, that post-race recap to your sponsors, be active in letting them know what happened, how it went. Send them photos that they can use in their own marketing. When you're posting on social media, make sure you tag the sponsor, mention the sponsor, say thank you, promote their products. There's a whole lot of just general marketing that can be done after a race to keep the sponsors happy and let them know that you are working to get their name out there. Right. Right. Is there anything else that they can do in order to increase the likelihood of sponsorship? Well, in order to increase the likelihood of sponsorship, having that sponsor proposal really is a great, great way to really help the company feel more confident about investing their parts, their money and their time in you. And Mm -hmm. having a professionally produced sponsor proposal is key. I cannot tell you how many times working on the manufacturer side, I would receive proposals from potential racers that had our competitor's name in the sponsor proposal (laughs) that were, yeah. Okay. We're not doing that one. Uh, full Full of typos, no pictures, you know, just some text in a Microsoft Word document, they were obviously not trying as hard as they could be. And I understand that not everyone is a graphic designer. Not everyone is a writer. Not everyone is a marketer. But that's the thing. If you've got a chassis guy, you've got an engine guy, you've got a suspension guy, you have all of your people in place to fine-tune every area of your racing program, why not add a marketing person or a sponsor proposal person to fine tune those areas for you. And it's not a huge investment when you think about all the money you're going to get in return, all the support, you know, all the, the money you're going to save in getting product. So a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, Oh, a sponsor proposal. I can't afford that. Well, if you spend X on a proposal and you get a 10 time return on your investment, to me, mm-hmm. that's worth it. So having something that is professionally produced, shows a potential sponsor that you take your program seriously, you're willing to invest in yourself and they can trust their investment in you. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. 
Now you talked about uh, uh, being professional and having um, having professionalness as a team. Like what, what are like some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing teams or drivers doing when it comes to professionalism that they need to stop right now? Um, and that's tough because I generally work with people who are ready to have me do their proposal. So I don't see yeah. a ton of the, um, self produced ones at this point. Although I did back in the day, I'll tell you, I have seen everything from again, a Microsoft word document with seven different fonts used and, you know, pages upon pages upon pages of text that nobody wants to read. Nobody wants to spend their time reading your 50,000 word, you know, biographical memoir. I've seen wrong, wrong names being used. I've seen lack of information. A sponsor is not going to give you parts or money if they don't know where you're going or what you're doing. So just a general lack of information, lack of cohesiveness and lack of polish is what I'm seeing. Right. Now, would you say like the way, the way you're explaining things is really intriguing. Like I, I, I almost see this kind of like the team is, is a brand, right? And as such, yeah. how, how authentic should they be when doing these uh, proposals and trying to get sponsorship? Should they just, you know, be completely authentic? Is there anything that they shouldn't be, you know, showing any potential sponsors? Like where, where does that line get drawn? Or is there a line? That's tricky because there is a line, but it's very blurred. And that's, it's a tricky balancing act because you do want to be authentic and you do want to show the sponsor who they're getting involved with. You know, you mm -hmm. want to show them the real you, but at the same time, you also need to understand a lot of these manufacturers are big companies that do expect a certain level of professionalism. So I would say, show them who you are. And keep true to who you are as, as a person, as a racer, as a team. But maybe polish it up a little bit so that it's more palatable. Um, if you're someone who swears left and right, like I grew up in New York City, so my vocabulary, <laughs> when I'm at the track, uh, I have a mouth. But yeah. I understand there's a time and a place for everything. And my language, my vocabulary, my attitude can wings significantly, whether I am in the pits having a beer after a race with one of my teams, or if I'm in a business meeting trying to pitch a potential client, which is similar to pitching a sponsor proposal, I'm still me. I'm still who I am. My attitude, my energy, that is all the same. It's just how I package my message and how I present myself will differ depending on the situation I'm in and what I'm trying to accomplish. So I recommend that to our racers. Be true to who you are but understand who you're speaking to and their expectations and then position your message so that it will be best received by who's listening. Mm -hmm. Now, if like, we've seen this with, 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 with personal brands and honestly, like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like the drivers, the teams, they are all brands. Now <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a fine line when it comes to like political views or you know, social views. And like, I've seen this before with, you know, um, even some other big athletes and whatnot that have had certain views to certain political situations and stuff, or they have said nothing, but, 
And then their fanfare is like asking them to have a position. Would you say with drivers and with teams that if they have a large fan following and, and stuff, you know, people looking at them and really enjoying what they're doing, should they have those stances and share them publicly, even though it may cause backlash with some of their sponsors like or should they have those conversations in private with their sponsors like what what do you what are your thoughts on that again that's a tough one it's really personal preference and what the individual prioritizes mm-hmm. if it's someone who is passionate about their their view and passionate about their stance and confident in their opinion and, you know, this is who I am and this is what I believe and assimilate or get out of the way. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about it. Uh, you know, be public with your opinion because that's who you are. But no, you may alienate someone in the process. And if that's a risk you're willing to take, go for it. If you mm-hmm. don't want to risk that, then yeah, maybe tone it down. Maybe be a little bit more cognizant of what you're putting out publicly. Um, I always like to say that we in America, we have freedom of speech but we do not have freedom of consequence. So you can say whatever you want, but you have to have the maturity to understand someone might not like it. And there might be, you know, reciprocation because of that, whether it's losing a sponsor or upsetting Mm -hmm. your fans or, Hey, maybe you'll say something and your fans will identify with it. And you'll actually get more as a result of that. But that is a personal choice that people need to make. And you need to weigh the pros and cons. You need to look at what you're trying to accomplish And sometimes it is better to lose the battle to win the war. And sometimes it's better to kind of tone it down short term when you're trying to think about a long-term strategy. Yeah. For those people who are super successful though, they can pretty much say whatever they want and their success will speak for themselves and override that. So it really depends on the situation, on the person and on their goals and long-term outcome of what they want to accomplish. Okay. I like that. So then what are sponsors then looking for in return? Driver team goes to a sponsor, says, you know, like, this is what I'm, what I can offer. Is there anything else that they should be aware of before they go into writing a proposal and what sponsors are looking for? Absolutely. So I see a lot of teams expecting sponsors to just give them parts for free. And that is a huge misconception. Companies cannot stay in business if they give things away for free. So even when a sponsor gives parts at no charge or at cost, they still need to get a return on their investment to stay in business. If if they don't make money or turn a profit, there will be no business to sponsor the racers in the future. So just to anyone listening, do not expect to get things for quote-unquote free. Most of the sponsorships (laughs) are either at cost or, you know, a slight margin over cost because we need to keep these companies running to manufacture the parts that you're trying to get in the first place. Um, So sponsors generally are looking for media exposure to their target market by the sponsored racer. And that could be anything from social media promotions, targeting uh, your fans, mentioning the the products, talking about the features and benefits of why you like them, Mm -hmm. tagging the sponsor, uh, wearing the sponsor's apparel to races and events or on TV during live stream or in video appearances when you're 
making a short little video or a reel, which is so popular nowadays for your social media, wear your sponsor's hat, wear your sponsor's t-shirt, tag them, mention them. Things like that are huge. You can also include their logo on all of your collateral items, hero cards, giveaways, t-shirts, anything that you're giving out to fans and distributing to your, your audience, put your sponsor's logo on it. And another thing that's really critical that they're looking for in return is feedback on the parts and products that they've given to you because those sponsors need that real world data to improve their products, to continue selling and manufacturing and keep their business going. So as a sponsored racer, you are essentially acting as a test mule and research and development. And I think that's really cool. So be, be, you know, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but proactive, give that feedback positive or yeah, be proactive. Don't be, don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Give that feedback, give that data. If it's good feedback, your, your manufacturer partner wants to know that they want to say, Hey, this thing is working and we love it. If it's bad feedback, they want to know that too, so that they can improve. Mm -hmm. Just be, be gentle in how you say it. And if you have a problem with the product, I highly recommend talking to the manufacturer or the sponsor first, do not go public and bash them. That is a great way to lose your partner and lose potential other partners too, because if someone else sees you bashing a manufacturer, they're not going to want to work with you because they're going to think that you're going to do that to them. So if you have an issue, keep it private. So even if you have, say, say for instance, you know, you're running a, you got a transmission sponsor for example, and you know, you're, you're noticing mm-hmm. a certain part is, you know, not working well or can be approved on. Could you even tell your sponsor, Hey, you know what, what if we change this on this certain part and maybe tuned up this to increase the performance? Is that stuff that your sponsor would be looking for as well? Absolutely. That feedback can help them improve their product to make sure that somebody else doesn't have a problem. If they can avoid an issue by working with you, the sponsored racer, to develop a better, stronger, faster, more Mm -hmm. reliable product, then that essentially limits how many potential problems they'll have with customers in the future. And we all know if if you spend money on something and it doesn't work right, there's a whole lot of angry Karens out there. They're going to, you know, (laughs) blast us to Facebook about it. So if we can prevent that from happening in the first place by working with the sponsor in a partnership relationship, yeah, yeah they absolutely want to hear about it. But again, be, be kind, be gentle. Remember there's a whole team of engineers and developers and manufacturers who worked very hard to put this product together. And if something went wrong with it, it's generally not something they did on purpose. So just be, be kind, be considerate when you're giving that negative feedback. Um, I know if you've lost a race or broken your car or something went wrong that cost you a significant amount of money, um, mm-hmm. I know people are going to be angry and there's a lot of tempers that flare and there's emotions, but calm down. Everybody here is working together. So yeah, that's my best advice is just think about what you're trying to accomplish before you speak. Yeah, that's cool. Like I see, I see this like really a collaborative approach between team driver and sponsor and working like essentially mm-hmm. as a team, like really improving the products and, and whatnot that they're both using and developing. Absolutely. Yeah. So then how, how would a, a team or a driver put together 
uh, proper sponsorship proposal to increase the likelihood of being sponsored? Well, that's where someone like me comes in or somebody else in the industry. Uh, I specialize in putting together professionally produced sponsor proposal packets. And with having had decades of experience working on the manufacturing side, I have seen countless proposals from racers who want to get sponsored. I know what racers are, uh, I know what racers are looking for. I know what potential sponsors are looking for. I know what sort of information to include. And someone like me can help you tailor your proposals for the best possible chance at getting a deal. So I would say work with a professional, work with someone who's done it before. You can do it yourself, uh, but to really increase the likelihood of being sponsored, you will want to work with someone who's done it before, knows what to do, and can guide mm-hmm. you towards that best chance of success. So then when they're putting together a proposal, I mean, is there any like key things that they should include in the proposal? Really the best thing that I can say for that and the best piece of advice I can give really goes back to what we talked about earlier in that you're not getting something for free. The sponsor wants to see that they're getting something in return. So you need to think of the sponsorship proposal as a sales pitch. It's You've got to think about it as if it were a business deal and you're trying to tell the sponsor why they should choose to partner with you. Show them why it will be worth their time, worth their money, and give them reasons to choose you. You have got to sell yourself as if you are a product and really, really let the sponsor know that you are worth investing in. Okay. So really it's about like putting yourself in their shoes and really seeing it from their perspective and saying to yourself, like, what is it that's going to really make them have no, have no reason not to say yes. Exactly. The sponsorship proposal is not what can you give me as a racer, but rather it's here's what I can do for you as a partner. Ah, I love that. Absolutely. So is there, are there any like out of the box ways that like a team or a driver event can include to maximize the value a sponsor gets in return? Like any sort of tactics? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. This is where creativity really comes into play. And I encourage my drivers, my teams to think about all the different things that they can do and just have fun with it. Um, In-person appearances are great. So I always tell my teams and my drivers, offer your car to be in a sponsor's booth at trade shows or at events or promotional things. I have seen cars show up everywhere from grocery stores to elementary schools to major trade shows. Having that car, having that presence, allowing people to get up close, take a look, meet the driver. That's it's like a great brand ambassador deal that you can do. So I always um, tell my drivers in-person appearances, offer your car, make it available. Um, Something else that's really kind of neat is I see some drivers will put stickers on the dashboard of their car. And when you look at it, you're like, well, nobody's going to see that because it's on the inside of the car, except for when you're doing in-car videos and you're Ah. filming in-car racing footage. Now your sponsor stickers are right there in front of everybody's face. So that's a great location that you can offer to a sponsor and say, here, I'm going to take you along with me on every ride. Something else that I really uh, recommend my racers do is hand out catalogs or brochures or information at races and events. Usually the manufacturer will be happy to supply brochures, catalogs, 
you know, collateral pens, little things, just set up a folding table in your pit area and put out your sponsor's information. They will love being able to reach a new market and it shows that you're actively trying to help get their name out there. So just things like that, that, you know, it's a little bit more than just, oh, I put your logo on my t-shirt or, oh, I put your sticker on my car. You want to figure out how to engage with their market and really help get their name and their products and their materials and their information out there to the audience. That's really cool. I like that. And yeah, you're right. Like technology has come such a long way, even in the last 10 years. And like the, 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 how it is so easy to, to do things that will make any company sponsor happy and more than excited about, you know, seeing that their logo, their brand is being, you know, shown to a a worldwide audience. And I think, yeah, like, I, I think any creative idea is, is a good idea, no matter how crazy it might be. You never know. Like, look what Red Bull does. It's right. insane. Right. And even something as simple as downloading an app on your phone to overlay your sponsor's logo on any pictures that you post on social media. There are tons of free apps. It takes two seconds. And it just is that little something extra that shows the sponsor hey, I'm trying, I'm working for you, I'm doing what I can. And it will keep the relationship a lot stronger for the long term. And have you ever seen any sponsors uh, working with drivers where the sponsor offers up their in-house creative team to help the team driver like improve their, improve their marketing? Have you ever seen that happen before? I will say that th- that's more of a rare occurrence. Okay. It's a great idea, and I would suggest that racers reach out to those marketing teams if they do want help, if they do feel they need assistance. I think that, that is a, it's a fantastic idea. I have not seen that executed very often, but I would mm-hmm. absolutely recommend it. Um, the marketing department is there to help brand their products, and the driver is basically an extension of the brand. So I don't see why they wouldn't want to work and and kind of develop synergy through the branding, through the messaging, through images and graphics and promotions. I think it's a fantastic idea. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Paysons. Did you know there are 73 ways your brand is killing your business? Yep. And did you know there is one way to stop it from happening? If you want to stop the slow agonizing death of your business, click the link in the show notes and Before I go, if you like my podcast, I would love for you to tell other automotive business owners all about it. Share a link to the episode through your favorite social media feed and don't forget to tag me. Thank you for your help. So if a team or a driver event wants to put a sponsorship package together for themselves, they want to do it themselves, like how, what are some key takeaways that you can give them so they can do it properly say if they can't afford somebody like you right now but at least it'll get them out of the gate so that they understand the process and can you know have some small wins well it's a tricky question because if, <laughs> if i give all the details on how to put together a winning proposal what's the point in having someone like me to do it <laughs> um i'm just joking I would say think about it as if it were a business deal and really give more information. Uh, 
from the manufacturer's side, I would rather see more information than less. I don't want to have to come back to you and say, okay, but what about this? And what about that? So generally, um, include some information about you, include some information about your car, tell the sponsor what you've done. Um, obviously give them reasons to choose you, tell them why you're successful, tell them where you're going to be racing. If you don't, and you're only going to be racing two or three races a year, but they're under the impression that you're going to be out there running, you know, 15 or 20 races a year, you don't make that clear. Uh, That's not going to go over too well later on when they figure out that they're not getting all that exposure. Um, So definitely include a schedule. And then again, give them the reasons to choose you, show them what you're going to give them in, in return for their investment and say, you know, you can do different levels. You can say, if you give me X, we'll give you Y. If you give me Z, we'll give you, you know, A, B, and C. So just put together different packages. And that's something that we can help with. We can kind of guide racers through what to include, different ideas of what to give back uh, to a sponsor at different levels. So mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky. I don't want to give away all my secrets, but I, <laughs> I still want to help people get pointed in the right direction. So Eric, how important are like is photography and kind of design when it comes to a proposal? Like, can they get away with, you know, like doing it? And I hate using, like, I just, I hate, saying Microsoft word, but like, can they do that? It's like cringy. Oh, I know. Like, Um, yeah, we're both designers. So we just like, you throw up in your mouth a little. (laughs) No, you can. And I mean, word is a really powerful program if you know how to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that's all you've got and you don't want to pay, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year for the Adobe creative suite, by all means use it. Um, Photos are really important, though. You had mentioned the importance of photos, and that is really critical. The manufacturer is working with you as an extension of their marketing department, like you mentioned earlier. So in order to be able to market you, they need media, they need images, they need information. And we all know you can't just go and grab a photo you want from anywhere on the internet or something you saw posted on Facebook and use it in marketing. You can't, you're going to get in trouble. There's copyright issues, there's liability issues. So it's really important for the racer to be able to provide photos back to the sponsor that they have usage rights and licensing Mm -hmm. rights to use. And that might just be as simple as snapping a picture on your cell phone and sending it to them. You right. want it to be nice and clear and crisp. Uh, you know, wipe your lens before you take a picture. If your phone has been in your pocket all day and it's hot at the track and you're sweaty, well, your lens is going to be hazy. So just use your T-shirt and wipe off your camera on your phone before you take a picture so you get a nice, crisp, and clear image. Snap a picture. Make sure the whole car is in it. Make sure your sponsor logo can be seen. And, you know, send it to them. Text, email, Facebook message, carrier pigeon. But just make sure you give them something so that they can have that media to then promote you. And it's kind of a, a synergistic relationship. As you promote your sponsor, they'll promote you in exchange and they're going to help your program to get more visibility as well. Mm-hmm. Now I, okay. When I, when I was working for um, a diesel performance shop, we had, a, we had a number of guys coming to us saying, Hey, I'm building this truck. Here's pictures of the truck I'm building. I want sponsorship. Now, Back then, I was like, I'm sorry, go away. When it's actually running and you're actually racing, we'll talk. 
But my bosses right. back then were like, oh my God, this is so cool. Yeah, let's sponsor, let's sponsor. And then ends, what ends up, what ended up happening was it never happened. So I'm just curious today, because this was decades ago, um, are sponsors willing to sponsor like builds or are they more looking for final product that's actually running and is on the track and has a real presence? Well, that's tough. Um, it used to be easier to get sponsorship if you were mid process in a build. Now, the last couple of years, the way the supply chain has changed because of COVID, we all know how hard it is to get parts. Mm-hmm. And so while you might send in a render and say, hey, I'm working on this project, there's a good likelihood that it's going to get stuck in chassis jail or paint prison, and it might not see the light of day for two or three times as long as the, the original expected timeline. Yeah. So sponsors right now are having a harder time getting on board with projects that are in process simply because there really is no promise that they're ever going to finish. Um, I will say if you are a proven racer with a proven background, getting a new car sponsored is a lot easier than if this is your first rodeo. So if you can show the sponsor, here's everything I've done with my last couple of cars and here's everything I've already accomplished. It's generally a little bit easier to get a new car sponsored simply because you have already done the legwork of proving yourself. Um, If you come in and you're just, you know, Joe Schmo from middle of nowhere. And Hey, I'm going to build a race car. You should give me all the things. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. <laughs> um, how, how important is any driver or team having a web presence, like having their own website? Is that something that is important to, for sponsors that they have their own website and it web is. presence? Yeah. And again, that all goes back to, taking yourself seriously. If you show the sponsor that you're willing to invest in yourself and in your program, it makes it easier for them to want to invest in you and having a website, having social media pages that are actively updated regularly. Um, you know, once a week, once a month is better than once and never. Mm-hmm. So having all of that in place shows the sponsor that you're willing to do the legwork, you're taking it seriously and that helps them feel safe that they have a stronger likelihood that you're going to continue that effort in marketing and working with them. And also I'm just curious about this, say a driver, you know, has a website, it's gone the extra mile and has created an email list and they got like, say thousands of email addresses um, of fans that are all tuned into what this driver is doing is that a really, is that a great marketing, um, what's a marketing lure for a driver to use and to tell the potential sponsor that, hey, I have X amount of followers on my social media accounts. I have X amount of visits on my website. I have X amount of people signed up to my email newsletter that are tuning into me every month. My open rates are X, like are all these statistics important when putting together a proposal? Definitely. You want to show the, the potential sponsor your reach and that you can get their message to their market. Uh, you know, if they come out with a really amazing new product, being able to get that information out to their customers, AKA your fan base, that's huge. So mm-hmm. 
thinking about it from the manufacturer side, if I've got a specific budget that I need to allocate towards sponsorships, am I going to dedicate that budget to someone who has 300 fans and contacts or someone who has 3000 or 30,000? Well, obviously I'm going to put my money where I feel there's a better return on investment. So I'm going to look for those people that have the larger markets. Now that's not to say everybody has to be super famous with, you know, tens of thousands of followers. You don't, you just need to be active and strategic in how you interact and engage with your fans. Okay. That's pretty cool. So how important are press releases and media coverage to the whole sponsorship process? Well, media coverage is essential and press releases are also extremely important. Your sponsor wants to see that you're working to promote them and working to get their name out there. So being covered by the media, it's an awesome way to do that. Uh, Exposure Mm -hmm. for you basically equals exposure for your sponsor and it adds value to the partnership. If you do press releases, uh, like we talked about, that help keep your sponsor up to date with what you're doing and where you're racing, it helps them feel more comfortable continuing this relationship with you. It helps them feel more comfortable giving you parts, finances, whatever you need. And it's, so it's a great idea to write and send out that post-race event recap to all of your sponsors and even to media outlets because you never know what racing publication will pick it up and run right. your press release in their magazine or on their website. Keeping that communication strong, keeping those channels open, that's huge. And I will say a lot of media outlets, especially the magazines and publications and websites, if you can give them free content and images, they love that and they're going to run it because then they don't have to pay someone to create the content for them. So absolutely work with someone, either write the press release yourself and have a friend proofread it or hire a professional such as myself, write that post-race event recap press release, send it to your sponsors, send it to media outlets, and just keep your name out there. Keep your name relevant. That's great. I love that advice. That's awesome. Now you have a really great pulse on um, on the motorsports community and what's going on the drag races, and I'm just I'm curious to get your to get your opinion on what are like with the rise of the EV of electric vehicles, and then also like hearing about the RPM Act in the United States and how the EPA is just coming down so hard on like modifications of vehicles and about even like the grassroots racers and stuff, which just, it angers me so much to see this happen because Mm -hmm. like motorsports needs to be sticking. Like, it's just, it's fantastic. They're, they're trying to kill an industry, which just drives me nuts. Do you see any future trends occurring in like in the motorsports industry and in grassroots racing and whatnot that you, that you're concerned about or excited about? Oh, I'm kind of sticking my head in the sand, like an ostrich and pretending it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to accept it. Uh, I do know that a lot of the electric vehicles, there had been some concerns about safety and how do you necessarily put out an electrical fire on track versus right. uh, a traditional fuel fire. So there's been a lot of concerns with safety and I feel like there's been some hesitation towards to adopt electric vehicles in the performance industry as a result of that. But just like anything else, as technology improves and solutions improve, we will start to see more of that. I think there's plenty of room in the sandbox for everybody. And I think 
we have got enough people in this industry who are passionate about, you know, combustion engines that while we may lose some to the proliferation of an electric vehicle, there's always going to be those diehards that are going to fight for internal combustion engines and, you know, fuel cars and nitro Mm -hmm. and diesel. And I've driven a few electric vehicles. Um, I've driven the Tesla plaid, which has like a thousand foot pounds of torque. And it is super fun. I'm not going to lie. It made me giggle like a little girl on Christmas, (laughs) but I am a diehard gearhead and I miss the noise of the engine. I miss the exhaust. I miss, you know, the sensory overload of standing on the starting line when I've got a 5,000 horsepower blown alcohol pro mod next to me, just ripping on the supercharger. Like I love that. And when I'm at the track and you know, I got an electric vehicle pull up and it goes in the beams. I mean, it's, it's quiet and it's weird and you can hear the tires adhere to the track and you hear the blue and that's about it. And it's just, it's surreal. So I can respect it from uh, an evolutionary standpoint, as far as technology and performance goes, I think the innovation is incredible, but man, I I want my ears to be bleeding after I go to a race. (laughs) So do you think that like, um, motorsports racing and drag racing has still got a strong future ahead of it, even in the next 10, 15 years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing a lot of the supply chain issues and cost of materials increasing, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting because I feel like that is trimming the fat essentially and causing people to have to rethink how they produce and having to innovate their manufacturing process and change how they're doing things. And, you know, it's that, that expression, innovate or die. And I think this is kind of forcing our hand in our industry to grow and expand and find new ways to do things and find new ways to be successful. It is going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see how it plays out, but I'm extremely confident. And I know that the racers are going to race no matter what we love what we're doing. Fortunately, this is an industry that is somewhat based around disposable income. Uh, You know, it's not necessarily an industry where people are, struggling to get by. So there's a lot of folks out here who they do this with pocket cash and that's a good position to be in. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I, I personally, I think that like when it comes to motorsports racing, you see what F1 is doing every year and how they're innovating and their initiative, uh, for finding, um, alternative, uh, sustainable fuel sources for their, cars mm-hmm. and i think it was like by 2025 or something like that or 20 it just it, it really it's really cool to see and um you can see the trickle down effect already from what's going on in these higher level motorsports um uh, comp- uh competitions and how they're trickling down to grassroots racing mm-hmm. and it's yeah i think i think people thinking the the sky is falling you just need to take a deep breath and just <laughs> say like, you know, this is just the evolution. Right. And people are so inherently resistant to change because they, they love what they do and they're protective of what they do. And I can absolutely respect that. But without this change in evolution, there's no progress. And what if, you know, when the first combustion engine was developed, when the first vehicle was developed, when the first airplane was developed, what if all those naysayers that said, well, this is crazy. This is never going to work. Let's just stick with what we're already doing what if they had won? So you've got to think that while the change is uncomfortable right now, think ahead long-term a hundred years from now, 
how will it have benefited us and how will technology and performance overall as a whole improved thanks to those people who aren't afraid to do something that's unconventional. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see any differences? Cause we have the, the, the baby boomer generation, which represents that old school racer. That's just all about raw horsepower and, you know, and traditional uh, tradition. And then you have these new school racers out there that are in their like, you know, late teens, early twenties. Do you see any differences in between those two generations of racers? I do. Uh, A lot of the old school guys I see, you know, they still got the old school weather station and their log books and they're taking notes by hand and tracking every run. And and then I see the new guys coming up the younger generation and they've got spreadsheets and charts and apps and data for days. And it's just a different way of doing the same thing. And I Ah. think that there's a lot to be learned from both generations. So I think the old timers can teach the young kids a lot of what's been lost through technology, making things easier. Um, And I think that the kids can teach a lot of the old timers ways to better access their data and better utilize their data. So there's absolutely something to be learned from both. And I think the key is to blend both old school and new school. So you kind of get the best of both. Yeah, I agree. I was having a really interesting chat with um, a mechanic who is in his or late sixties. And he was talking, uh, he worked at a shop and he was talking about how he is the only guy that knows how to work on carburetors and all these new school mechanics coming in. The first thing they pull out is a computer and like, and I'm just like, I'm like, Holy crap. And I asked him, I said, does anybody want to like, do they want to learn how to work on carburetors? And they're like, no. And I was like, man, but this no. is like such a lost art, right? Like yes. something and that needs to be handed down. Out, which is, yeah. And that, that's, that's the sad thing is a lot of that knowledge, a lot of that skill, I hate to sound morbid, but a lot of the people that possess all of that are dying off. And if they don't hand it down, then that's something that can be lost forever. And I think it's even as simple as, you know, going to valet my car at dinner and I drive manuals. I've had to valet park my own car because the attendant doesn't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> so, I know, eh? How bad is that? Yeah, everybody wants a slapstick. They want they want the joy of a manual, but they don't want to actually push a clutch. <laughs> oh, I love my clutch. I'll oh, I love it, it too. Absolutely do. Well, uh, Ainsley, this was fantastic conversation. Um, so if anybody wanted to reach out to you and learn more about, you know, sponsorships and how to, how to work with you, how can they contact you? Well, they can go to my website, p10marketing.com. That's P as in Peter, T as in Thomas, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy. And a fun fact, P10 was actually the chassis code of my first car. So you can go to p10marketing.com. You can shoot me an email, info at p10marketing.com. You can call or text 646-820-P10. You can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just about anywhere that's online. Uh, You can contact me directly. My name is Ainsley Jacobs. I'm pretty easy to be found. So, you know, come at me and I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to talk about ideas and I would love to help get some drivers 
a little bit further along in their career. And I really hope that this information has been valuable and that your listeners have been able to get some good advice and good insights and we'll be able to move forward with their, their racing endeavors. Absolutely, Ainsley. You're a wealth of information and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dennis. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Thank you.